0: Okay, we're going to jump right into it. If you want to pick up your uh, Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 tonight. So grab your Bible, your apps, your iPad, or whatever you usually use. Okay, I'm going to give you a bit of a prior context so you you guys just know where we are in the text. So God promised Abraham that Uh, he would make his offspring more numerous than the star in the sky. That he would make a great nation who will one day dwell in the promised land, right? More than 400 years passed, and Abraham's descendants have not seen um, this promise fulfilled. Instead, the Israelites are enslaved um, by the Egyptians. And uh, fearing that the Hebrews grow into a mighty nation... And overtake them. The pharaoh of Egypt. Enslaves them. And forces them to work. Um, but they continue to grow anyway. Uh, so therefore a pharaoh. Decides that every son. Born to the Hebrews. Should be thrown to the river. But a Levite couple. Defiles the order. Trusting God's. Trusting God's will. For their son's life. And God did have a plan. For this child, Um, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and uh, decides to keep him and made him and named him Moses. Okay, so that's basically what happened before the text. And uh, Moses grows older and um, he's starting to see and realize the suffering of his people. And he becomes angry. And one day he witnesses... um, he witnesses um, um, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and Moses decides then to kill the man. Um, he then flees into the wilderness, make a, a, a new life for himself. Years past, he have a wife, he basically lives with his um, in-laws. And that's pretty much where we are in the text. Awesome, so we're going to jump right into it. Exodus 3, verse 1. Yet it was not consumed, and Moses said, "I will turn aside to see this great sight. why the bush is not burnt So Moses basically gets curious he he's imagine is crazy, he's at work, like doing pretty much what he does every single day, and he sees a bush burning so that that's okay that happens." But the bush isn't actually being consumed, and he sees the angel of the Lord in that. So he's like, "Whoa, what's going on? I'm going to go back and see what's going on. Next verse it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, to be honest, I think pretty much all of us would, it's like like I said, you, you, you're a day at work, like everything is normal, and you, you're not expecting that, right? Like, I don't know, that would be, Pretty crazy. Imagine the story you say home after work in the evening. Hey, honey, how was your day? I just seen God in a burning bush that wasn't burning. Awesome. So, he wasn't ready for it. He was like, oh, that's God. So, obviously, he, he decides to hide his face. Next verse say, and Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard Their cry, because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings, and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hattites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppresses them. Uh, This teaches us something amazing uh, on God's character, right? Already, we're not even uh, 10 verses in, and we learn that God sees. We learn that God hears. God knows. And God comes to deliver. That's crazy. The Israelites have been enslaved to the Egyptians for years and even generations. Um, And in the text, they never really lose faith. And that is challenging because God says, I have heard the cry of my people. So after a generation of enslavement, the people are still faithful and are still praying and are still crying out to God. And God does hear them. Now, in your day-to-day life, that is challenging. I mean, to me, that is challenging. Already, when, when there's just like a a hard day at work or like a bad situation at home, and you know, you still have to go back there after after work or something like that, or maybe you're struggling with something even even harder, like an addiction or something you just can't take on in your home, and and you're in a very bad situation. In that situation, it's really easy to feel. Uh, alone to to feel like you you're you're in a corner you don't know what to do but don't lose faith like the Israelite please know that God sees God hears God knows and God comes to deliver now be careful the text doesn't say God will just remove the Egyptians from Egypt and leave the, the Israelites be um, sometimes God will have to take you away from everything you see, if that makes sense. Like, God rescuing you does not mean him remo- removing the part of your life you don't like and l- just letting the rest. It doesn't mean that the Israelites, I mean, although they were going through horrible sufferings, and but this is all they knew. Their houses was there. They were familiar with everything that the that was there, and when God takes us from bad situation, we can easily focus on that. Well, uh, but that, that's what I know, God. That's my house. That's 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 everything I know. But we forget to to focus on what actually God is doing. That He's actually taking taking us out of slavery to bring us in a place that is just so much better, beyond what we could ever imagine. So, keep going on from verse ten. Come. On the mountain. Now I think that most of the time, this is pretty much all of us. It's like in, in verses seven to nine, God reveals His plan to Moses, and Moses does not say anything. So I don't think Moses had a problem with God's plan. He was like, "Yeah, I think that's 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 pretty awesome." I mean, he was he was he was angry with the situation of the Israelites in the first place. He, that's why he struck the Egyptian he was upset about the way the, the Israelites were uh, treated by the Egyptians. So Moses did not have a problem with God's plans. But when God tells Moses, well, I'm, I'm going to use you to do that. Now Moses, <laughs> is a very different story. Like, Whoa, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? And this is, this is all of us. This is me. This is like, well, I mean, how many times, like, you go to sleep at night, and you're like, oh, if I was in that situation, I would say that thing. And and that person would give their life to Christ. Or so if I could just go over there, and and I would be helping in so many ways. And But then the day after, you're in the underground, and you see that lady crying. And, and you don't even dare to go talk to her. Or like you see the waiter that is serving you. He seems to be struggling with something. But you don't get into a conversation because you know that it could lead to you sharing your faith, and that's not very comfortable, is it? I think this is where Moses is at, at the moment. And what's actually going on is that I think Moses is switching focus. You see, when God asks us to do something, instead of focusing on, on God and what he can do and what he's able to accomplish, we usually focus straight away on ourselves. We're like, but... Who am I to do that? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm I'm young. I haven't been a Christian for that long. I don't know the Scriptures that well, and I can't do it, God. I, I don't even like, you know. There's so many things I can relate to. So many excuses I can make, and do basically the same thing. Um, <laughs> I, I I did that so many times, uh, but we completely forget about God, and 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 we focus on ourselves instead. And this is a mistake we, we all do. Now, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is, your, wh- wh- what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Now, this is a very important moment. God names himself for the first time in the whole Bible. Um, but before getting into that, I'm, I am I'm just want to give you a little side note. Um, what Moses is asking God here is basically, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? Now, in that case, God gives him like a pretty simple and a straight answer to give but you may find yourself in situations sometimes where you just don't know. You know someone asks, you talking, you sharing your faith, you're sharing Jesus with someone, and somebody asks you a question, you don't know the answer. That's no problem. Sometimes, you know, you're not going to have like a cool quote or like a cool Bible verse to give them or like something Petey or, or Daniel says or the really cool guy. There's a lot of biblical stuff that's awesome. And anyway, like... Sometimes it just doesn't come to mind, and it's okay not to know. You can tell that person, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I will look into it and come back to you later. You're not trying to win a fight. All you have to do is deliver the message, not winning souls. That's not your job. That's God's job. And I find that very encouraging, especially as, as a young person and as, as a young Christian as well. I find that encouraging because... I know that has happened and will happen to me in the future, so it's okay not to know. But anyway, coming back to uh, God naming Himself, I find that like <laughs> it's really hard to get my head around that, right? Because usually when 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 someone asks you your name, someone asks you who you are, you never just answer I am. And then what I am? What you, so something usually follows like. I am, um, I don't know, a little Frenchman, or Daniel will try to tell you he's the Batman, or whatever it is, that something always follows. And I struggle to get my my, my head um, around that. Now, I think, like, one of the things he could say, I'm going to have to take a detour to explain you exactly, but it, just keep following me. It will all make sense, right? Um... I must talk about I mean in that text, God says that this is how he is to be known forever, basically, so that also speaks to us, and we i don't I don't know how to explain that, but we are um sorry, I'm a bit lost um, sorry. I lost my notes. I'm not really used to do that. I don't like speaking in the microphone. So since since childhood and all through our life, especially in, the, in this culture, we live in a Western culture, everything is about yourself. You are told that everything is about yourself. You are the center of the universe. This is what the world um, is trying to uh, teach you. Uh, since childhood, and through your entire uh, life, you know, you are told that you must go to the best school, uh, you must have the best education possible, and um, that way you can get the best job and get the fastest car and get the biggest house and get the, the most beautiful woman or or, or, or men to to marry to and die surrounded with, with so many super good, great stuff. Um, it's not, I mean, all of these things are, aren't wrong in themselves. I mean, you know, it's not wrong to go to a good school or to have a good education. But the point is that everything is about yourself. And, and that's why, that's why we bring into church sometimes. And this is a very uh, tough mistake. Now, I have been, um, I have been through, you know, some of, <laughs> that was a very fun moment to prepare this, this study. I have been through some of the quotes that the Word is trying to teach you, and I thought I would uh, give them to you. This is this is heartbreaking, but it's very funny. So one of the, <laughs> I, I wish you could see them, because, you know, it's like this inspiring kind of thought uh, of the day, and it uh, has nothing to do with uh, Jesus, so... Uh, And and it's terrible, but I I wish you could have seen them because all of them had this little kitten or like a little dog holding a hurt or this kind of stuff. Anyway, the first one says that be yourself, there is no one better. Self-love is the greatest medicine. Never love anyone that treats you like you are ordinary To fall in love with yourself is the first secret of happiness. Only those who care about you can hear you when you're silent. (laughs) Don't forget to fall in love with yourself first. It gets better. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. Surround yourself with those who lift you up. Now, this is my favorite one. Friends. F. Fight for you. R. Respect you. I. Include you. E. Encourage you. N. Need you. D. Deserve you. S. Stand by you. (laughs) And the last one. Life is like a seesaw ride, full of ups and downs. But when you are down, a real friend will jump on the other seat to bring you back up again. (laughs) Now, how stupid are these? I mean, I'm very sorry. And if you have friends that make you feel that way, I think it's amazing. Like, you know, I wish I could be one of these friends one day. But that's not the point. You see, all of these quotes, all of these things are trying to teach you that it's all about yourself. Life, relationships, whatever it is, what this says is that this life here, right now, is about yourself and goes around yourself. And you see it everywhere. You see it um, in friendship. That's one of the most common ones. Imagine the responsibility you're putting on someone's shoulder. It's all about what you do for me. This is what the word is trying to tell you friendship is. But... but you know, then you can never, re- I mean, you're always going to fail to be a good friend because you you know in people's head, you don't know what they think. And if you think you know, then you might send them a text, but you didn't call, you know, and that person was expecting you to call or all of these things. And, and then if you did call, she wanted a WhatsApp text or, you know, all of <laughs> it's, it's always like that. But if you look at the biblical definition of love and friendship, it's very different. Listen to john fifteen twelve to thirteen This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friend and this is i mean to to understand this um, this verse, we need to see how Christ has loved us because we are called to love each other as Christ has loved us. So in Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says, For for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died, Christ died for us. You see, God loves us regardless of what he gets from it. And he's God. It's not like he, there's anything we can get him that he doesn't already have. Because he's God. He made the universe, you know. As a Christian, you are called to do the same thing in your relationships to be willing to die for your friends, regardless of how many times they call you this week or whatever it is that you may think you have against them. Now, the second case, you see this all the time, is single people looking for a wife or a husband or dating. Now, don't worry. I'm going to get to marriage straight after, so I'm in trouble as well. <laughs> I'm not picking on you single people. Um, you talk to so many single people and they already have a fully prepared and organized profile for who they want their husband or wife to be. That girl will be the perfect one for me. She will do this and this and she will be interested in the same, same things than me. She will, she will, be, she will love everything l- like I love and she will have such a beautiful smile as well. And whatever else is on the list... And it's like, you know, you just have to, I don't know, send your CV to apply to be that person's husband or, or, or wife. Now, I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wary in, in who you date. I think you should. I think that's very wise to do so. Um, but once again, we got it upside down. Most people don't even consider if if rather or not they would or would be would wouldn't or would be a good husband or wife to that person? How many people you hear that instead of giving you that profile, ask themselves, "How good can I lead my wife or submit to my husband? Can I give her enough protection and can I provide for her, or can I trust him can I trust him to do so, and how can I help Can I love her or him every single day for the rest of my life, regardless? of the circumstances and regardless of when or or he will will fail to do the same thing for you those things i mean we we see that all the time the third example is in is in marriages if you're if you're having if you talk to a couple that is having an argument and ask them to describe the situation it's 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 sometimes very funny they will go like, the husband will go, well, she did this or she didn't do that and it hurt my feelings. And the same way, she will tell you that he failed to be a good husband in some ways. Um, and it is completely self-focused. But whenever God speaks about marriage, it seems to be the, the always the other way around. Husbands have their own responsibilities. This is your responsibility. Make sure that this is done. And by... The, by By the way, this is regardless of how um, the wife is acting, and in the same way, wives have their own responsibilities and need to make sure it is done. It always seems to become a problem when we start to focusing on how each like the other one is performing. When we are trying to think what what she should do for me or. Or she's thinking what he should do for me or how how much of a better husband he should be to me or how much of a better wife she should be to me. Um, This is in the bigger issue, but even in the small issues, you see that all the time. And I'm going to give you a very funny example. For the past two years now, I've been married for two years. For the past two years, I keep wondering what on earth happened to my socks. I, I seem to always be washing them, right? I wash my socks all the time, but they're always running out. And last Sunday we were going back home, and um, my wife Deborah was very excited to be able to go to sleep early, so she get ready for bed, and she take off what seems to be massive socks compared to the ones she usually wears. I got it; like she's been wearing my socks for two years because they're warmer than hers, and I end up having to wear like very cute pink, very short socks with kittens on it. (laughs) But on that moment, I felt upset because it was inconvenient for me because then I'm running out of socks and I have to wear hers. And at this moment, I was failing to be a good husband because I was more focused on what's convenient for me rather than knowing my wife had very warm and (laughs) safe feet. (laughs) Does that make sense? Um, and um, my fourth example in, in, in how the word is trying to teach you that everything is about yourself is is pretty much in in a day-to-day life at work, for example and I've been guilty of it as much as everyone else how many times you put your own needs before your boss's one although the Bible is clear you are to submit to all authority as long as they don't ask you to sin Yeah, but how many times we took our wages as an excuse not to do our work properly, or the way we were treated. Maybe the boss had a go at you or something like that, and how many times did we take that as an excuse not to do our work properly? Or even when you go to a restaurant, how many times you see people having a go at a waiter because they decided a tomato wasn't that size, but it should be more like that size, or like the bread wasn't, Hard enough or soft enough, or whatever it is um that they think it is, I mean you see that all the time. It's like if you're a waiter, you become your status you you lost your status of person, and you're just a waiter, and people will um will feel entitled to treat you in the wrong way, and that's horrible. we're not treating the person as we should be when we are acting that way um I think you get my point. We live in a society where everything is about us. We feel entitled, like everything should rightfully be given to us because we're, we're, we think we deserve it. We believe that, that, that we always right and that we are better than everybody else. And this is my point. Like I think that one of the reasons God says, I am who I am, is because in, in a society as today, we always try to um, to make God in our own image, rather than the other way around. Does that make sense? We you you see anywhere you have a conversation with anyone, they will always tell you, well, if God was that way, why why does he do that or why doesn't he do this? I think that this is very pretentious. I think that we've gone way too far. God is is not the way we say he is, but God is God. God is I am. God is God. That's it. We are no one to define who God is and and change God. God does not change. I think that that this is one of the reasons why God said I am who I am. Now, In verse 16, we read Go and gather the elders of of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canite, the Hittites, the Harmonites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptian, the, uh, strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, He will let you go. And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who live in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall. Plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear appear to y- the, the, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses still failed to focus on God's character and is therefore focusing um on the on his own inabilities, right? Um God in, the, in that part is basically saying, I will do this and that. I will do this. Yet Moses failed to see that. He keeps the camera set on himself, on what he cannot do. He's he's afraid that the people call him a bluff. And 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 I think I understand that. But he's still failing to trust God. He's still failing to trust that God is able to do this, the thing he said he will do because he's too afraid not to be able to 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 be used for that because he thinks he's not good enough. Exodus 4.2 The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand?" He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in your hand. Now bless Moses for his faithfulness, though, because I think I would have kept running if it was a snake. And I think most of us would. (laughs) I know Daniel would. (laughs) Keep going. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of, of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put in sa- his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand had leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, he was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latest sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to, to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now, God destroyed Moses' arguments by showing him that both the Israelites and the Egyptians uh, will have no, no choice but to believe him. Um, the the, the I, I think that God gave, uh, he didn't make a mistake in giving this um, these signs. The first one that he chose was the serpent. Yeah. In ancient e- Egypt, the serpent used to be a symbol of sovereignty, royalty, and divine authority, and was often worn as a symbol protect, as a symbol of protection on on Pharaoh's headdress. And I think that God specifically chose the serpent as the first sign to show Pharaoh that he was bigger than than what Pharaoh considered as his biggest defense, and that. He even had control over it. The second one was leprosy. At that time in history, Egypt was one of the most, if not the most advanced nation in the world. They had the most advanced technology, and therefore they had the best physician, the best doctor uh, of the world. But at that time, absolutely no one could understand what, what was leprosy or how did it work and how to stop it. Um, Not even the best physician of Egypt. Yet God clearly was showing that he had control over that too. And the third one, the Nile. The Nile was one of the most important things for the Egyptians. In fact, it was so important that it was often worshipped by the Egyptians. Most Egyptians lived near the Nile as it, it provided water, food, and transportation, and an excellent soil for growing food ancient Egypt could not have existed without the river Nile. Since uh, rainfall is almost non-existent in Egypt, the flood provided the only source of moisture to sustain crops. So they all had fields all along the river Nile. Um, you see, by choosing uh, the Nile as a third sign, chose Pharaoh, and the Egyptians... He had power and control over that too and and he could therefore decide of their fate if God decided to take the Nile away, there was no way the Egyptians could survive and I think Moses knew that because Moses grew up in Egypt, right He grew up um as a like if, like if he was an Egyptian, very close to Pharaoh, probably because he was adopted by his own daughter. Um, but he still struggles to to trust his abilities to take on the mission that God has given him. And he uses arguments that I, I myself use so many times, and I can really refer to, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now I feel Moses on that. I, I am terrible at speaking publicly. Like, the first time I gave my testimony here, I had to sit on the floor because I thought I would faint. So I, ha- I gave my testimony sitting down. I am terrified of speaking publicly and I often don't make sense. I get confused. I get my note. When I, when I rehearse at home, I preach to my wife and to my cat. It it sounds awesome but then when I arrive in the in the big room with a lot of faces <laughs> it's like it, it, it just all go and I forget everything and I forget to make my point and I, I, I don't know where I am. I understand um Moses' argument. Uh but God answers something that is amazing and super encouraging. Who has made man's mouth? Who make him mute or deaf or sing? Or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. How encouraging is that? As we made the point before, God is strong in our weaknesses. When when there is something we cannot do, He can do it. We have to believe that, and I have to believe that as I'm speaking to you right now. But look at Moses' response. Verse 13. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the sign. Moses just doesn't want to do it. He, he have no excuses anymore. God has uh, shown him many times that he will be there. And what Moses cannot do, God will do. But he's just afraid to take on God's mission. And he doesn't even try to argue with God anymore. I mean, you can't really argue with God in the first place. He's God. You can't win. Um, But I cannot not speak about God's patience here. Now, how many of you, I, I think I would, instead of God, would have said, okay, Moses, no problem, step aside, I'll take your brother instead, he looks like he's much better than you, right? But God does not give up. God chooses um, to, to keep going with Moses and wants to use Moses. He doesn't, He, he just he just chooses to help Moses. By bringing someone to help him, and this is amazing. It's beautiful, and I find that very encouraging. Now, to, to, to it's a bit shorter than usual, but like I said, it's the first time I do that, I'm not used to it. Um, to conclude tonight, and this is what I want you to take from that. This is what I, be, I believe God is trying to say. God is both above us and among us, not one or the other, but both. What I mean by that is that he is almighty and he has all, all authority and every power. But he al- He also is compassionate and he cares about you individually. This text reveals a bit more about God's perfection. We see that God sees, God hears, God knows, and God comes down to deliver. We see God coming among us to speak directly to Moses and to perform many signs. But we also see how weak we can all be as men. We see weaknesses in Pharaoh and the hard hurt he has. And we all at some point have hard hurts. We also see weaknesses in Moses who struggled to trust God because he constantly switched back the focus on himself or the circumstances around him and contest the mission God has directly given him. But Moses is is actually really cool. And in the the next chapters, he eventually faithfully submits to the Lord and uh, gets to be the one that God uses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And like Moses, we must quit making it about ourselves, our abilities or inabilities, and switch back the focus on God. But no matter how uh, cool Moses is, he isn't God. Jesus is. Here, have a look at Hebrews. And this is Hebrews 3, verse 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you, who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that we were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over god's house as a Son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You see, I think that the reason God has put this specific part of the Bible in my heart to share tonight it's because this this part in exodus uh, three and the beginning of four is a bit of a reflection of the whole Bible. The people of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians. There were no hope for them. There was nothing they can do to save themselves. But they cried out to the Lord and kept praying. And the Lord heard them. Therefore, he decides to come among them, speak, instructs, shows his grace and mercy to his people. defeats their enemies and save them out of Egypt to lead them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, as we've just read. We, as men, have chosen sin over God. And we become enslaved to it. And we are all guilty, all of us. And according to the Bible, the wages of sin is death. There is nothing we can do. We deserve death. But God in his infinite love for us, does not want us to end like that. But a crime was committed, someone's got to pay for it. So God decides to take that burden upon himself and send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, a life of love for others, a life of submission to God the Father, and never committed sin. And Jesus deliberately goes on the cross and dies on it paying for our crime, redeeming anyone that chooses to believe him. But he does not stop there. He rose again three days later and proved himself to be God. But will you follow him? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As a believer now, a Christian, will you follow him? Will you submit to the mission he gives you, even when you don't understand it? Will you keep faith and believe that he hears you, even when it feels like everything is so hard? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for these beautiful people. I thank you for uh, Daniel and his beautiful heart, and I thank you for the way he led worship tonight, and um yeah, just thank you for the opportunity to be there. Uh, Lord, that wasn't easy. Um, I pray I didn't confuse anybody and I pray that everybody got the message you wanted to give them tonight and uh, I didn't get in the way. Um, I pray that we will remember to, to don't be afraid to um, switch the camera back on you, God, and to focus on how great you were instead of how um, small and insignificant we are. And you care about us. You love us, Lord. And you love us so much that you send your, your only son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. And if we believe that, we shall be saved. And I thank you for that. So I thank you, God. I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these beautiful people. I pray that everybody will have an amazing week.